Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Promotion comes from the Lord. That's what we're going to be talking about today. In the Faith for My Generation podcast, this is Wake Up Call 061 Promotion. I'm your host, AJ, and just starting off the episode a little bit different than usual, starting with that hook, that idea. And that's exactly what I want to cover today, is that promotion comes from the Lord. We're going to see what that means. Literally, uh, exaltation, increase, promotion going forward, pulling ahead in different areas of life and being brought up to a higher level in the kingdom work that you're called to do, that takes place at the discretion of the Lord. Now, with that being said, there are some tendencies, some traits that you and I can exercise, exhibit. There's faithfulness. There's things that we can do that position ourselves to be promoted by the Lord. And then, of course, as always, there's things you and I, we should never do. We should avoid doing them. We should actually run the opposite way uh, instead of trying to self-exalt or self-promote. Let's go to Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7 are the, is the main text of Scripture that I want us to look at. That's Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7. The Bible reads... For promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. That's the King James Version. The New King James Version, which is what I usually read from, says this, Psalm 75, 6 and 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. We see here clearly, plainly, scripturally, the principle is stated that exaltation, that promotion, advancement comes from the Lord. In fact, I'm going to click on here and look at the what the strong said. It literally means being brought up, to be exalted, uh, to go up, to heave up, set up on. Um, it can have negative connotation as well, presumptuousness or uh, high-minded, things like that. But in this context of what Scripture is showing us, to be brought up or to level up, I guess you might say. Maybe some of you guys are gamers. If, you know, if you're playing, playing a video game, you can level up oftentimes your avatar, your, your player, your character in the game. And what happens when you level up that character? They get maybe better... Uh, strength points or hit points or, or, or faster or smarter, you can level up that character. Well, leveling up, increase, promotion, exaltation comes from the Lord. And we see here, He is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. There is a dec deciding factor. There's decisions that God makes concerning who will rise and who will be brought down. Now, now, with that thought in mind, it's very simple to understand that God gives us a free will. He gives us the ability to choose, to do what's right. Uh, he gives us the ability to simply yield and obey. But also, we can understand that sometimes people who are exalted or put in places of leadership or put in opportunities to lead, maybe they start off well and then... By their decision, they begin to self-exalt. They begin to become prideful. They, they no longer lean on the Lord, but then they try to take things into their own hands, their own ability, and then everything, of course, comes crumbling down. We can think about this in just like a summary, a summary level of King Saul versus King David. Let's just talk about that, and then we're going to hit a couple of scriptural points concerning things we can do to be exalted, and things we should never do <laughs> uh, so that we are not trying to play the self-promotion game. But let's talk about King Saul and King David. King Saul started off real well, 
In fact, the Lord chose him. Uh, Saul is out looking for his father's donkeys, runaway donkeys. And that's when he encounters the prophet Samuel. Samuel blesses him and anoints him as king after the Lord tells him that's who's going to be king of Israel. Saul starts off well. Saul starts off with a heart towards God. But very quickly, just a few years into Saul's reign as king, he begins to take things in his own hands. Uh, there's one instance where he knew that Samuel, the prophet, was to come sacrifice and make a sacrifice to the Lord and bless the Lord and literally sanctify the army of Israel so that they might be blessed and going forth and doing battle so that they could win the battle and have God's favor. Well, Samuel's running a little bit late, so Saul decides to take things into his own hands. And he says, well, you know, if Samuel can do it, so can I after I'm a king. And he begins to sacrifice, and he does the sacrifice. And wouldn't you know it that right about the time of disobedience, Saul, uh, Samuel shows up, and he's like, Saul, what are you doing? He said, well, all the people were getting anxious. They began to leave. You know, I, I knew I needed to go do this, war, you know, fight this battle. And uh, so I just went ahead and did your job for you. You're welcome. Thank You're welcome. God bless you. <laughs> and Samuel, Samuel said, it's not your place. It's not your position. There's another instance where Saul is commanded to go and wipe out the Amalekites uh, in war, in battle. The Amalekites, like other nations, it's a thing where sometimes people argue and they don't quite understand, but it's very simple. Nations as whole, as a whole, have over, throughout the course of history, have come to a place where they are full of sin. Um, I believe it's Amos, who was one of the Old Testament prophets, who was a, I think, a, a fig tree farmer. Uh, and, a, and a shepherd and a herder. Um, and he has the illustration, I believe it's Amos, that he gives to Israel that, he is, that Israel is a, a basket of summer ripe fruit. Now, that illustration, summer ripe fruit. So maybe you've ever, you know, you went to the grocery store, you bought really ripe, I don't know, you could have ripe tomatoes, uh, plums. We just had some plums in our kitchen. And they were really, really good plums. They were ripe, perfect for eating. But when a vegetable or a fruit is very ripe, it needs to be eaten that day, at, at the latest the next day. Because what takes place so quickly when fruit or vegetables are very ripe? It's like today it's ripe, and then the next thing you know you turn around and it's spoiled, it's rotten. It's so ripe, so soft, and so ready to be consumed that just in a matter of hours, it turns and spoils and begins to rot. Sometimes nations become like that. It, it, I don't admit to know everything, but there are sometimes nations hit that point, and it's not because God hasn't continually sent forth his word by way of prophets, by way of, of ministers of the gospel, by way of the church. Uh, you see it, in fact, every time before judgment comes, God always sends his word. He always sends his correcting word. And many times there is, there's hits of revival. You, you read through First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles actually chronicalizes the history of Israel and, Judea, and Judah. And it's really... First and Second Chronicles is really like couched around five revivals that take place in Israel and Judah. Yet, both of those nations were judged. So God sends His word. God sends revival before He sends judgment. And, and so Saul had an op, had, was commanded to wipe out the Amalekites who were ripe with sin. They... We don't know all the details, but we know that in God's perfect justice, he said, you got to go take these guys out, every one of them. Well, Saul disobeys. Now, it sounds real good because when he comes back to Samuel, he says, you know, blessed be the prophet of God. Bless you, Samuel. Glad to have you come join us. We just won the battle against the Malachites. We did exactly what God told us to do. 
And Samuel says, now wait a minute. God told you to kill every animal and every person, yet I hear cows and I hear goats and I hear chickens, and here I see the king of the Amalekites as one of your prisoners. If you, are, if you did everything God told you to do, why, why are these animals still alive and why is this king still alive? Oh, well, the people wanted to get the best of the animals to give to the Lord. Sounds holy. And, you know, we, we, uh, other nations, they don't kill the king. They make that king their servant uh, and let them live out the rest of their days in, in the conqueror's palace and make a mockery of them. Well, that's not what God told them. And at that point, Samuel tells Saul, okay, the kingdom's being taken from you. And God's already found a man whose heart is set after the things of God. And he refers to David. Now, David is anointed as king. Yet, around probably around the age of 17 years old. Yet, it's about 10 to 13 years later. Most people say he's anointed at 17 and he becomes king at 30. So that means for 13 years, David is anointed king. He's called to be king, but he doesn't sit in the throne. He's not taking the throne. In fact, Saul, for many of those years, goes back and forth trying to kill David. David has two different opportunities where he can kill King Saul. Self-promotion, self-exaltation. He has an opportunity. And both times David said, nope, can't do it. God put Saul in this position, and eventually he tells one of his mighty men, he said, no, we're not going to kill Saul. We're not going to play this game anymore. God put Saul in this, as anointed him as king, and I can't touch the Lord's anointed. Either Saul will die of old age, or the Lord, or he'll go out in battle, and he'll be struck down in battle, or the Lord will remove him by some way, and I know that I'm supposed to be king, but I am not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed, against Saul, even though Saul had backslidden. Even though God had taken the throne from him, David says, I'm not going to make God's will come to pass out of my own strength. It's like the prophet Zechariah says, not by might nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, when God gives us instruction and he gives us his word, we receive what God has said in His Word and by the Holy Spirit by faith. And we receive by faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have work to do because faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean we just sit and, you know, sit on the lazy boy or the couch and wait for God to zap us or bring about what takes place. No, what was David doing? David was serving Saul even when David was anointed to be king. David was going in and out of battle, winning the battles of Israel, even when Saul was out trying to find him and kill him. We, we do, we're obedient to the call. We're obedient to the word. But we realize that what God is calling us to become and the place he's bringing us to, it has to be by his hand. Because the danger of self-promotion is destruction. I'm going to say that one more time. The danger of self-promotion, self-exaltation, is destruction. And I'm going to show you three different examples. There's many examples. But I'm going to show you three examples of self-exaltation and how they ended in destruction. And then we'll get to three ways to position yourself for promotion. The three, three examples of the danger of of self-promotion. Number one is the fall of Lucifer. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, we see by the Spirit of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, he gets to see in this, um, uh, I guess you might say, looking back into eternal past, because he, he gets to see when, when Lucifer falls. And we know Lucifer falls uh, before... Adam and Eve sin because Lucifer had to somehow be there to, uh, as Satan using that serpent as a decept deceptive tool to deceive Adam and Eve. So, so at some point before that takes place in Genesis 1 and 2, at some point we believe that Lucifer fell from heaven. So we see uh, Isaiah 14, 12. Oh, you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. 
How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So we see there verse 13, For I have said in my heart, Lucifer, who was an angel in God's heaven, uh, in the place we call heaven, and I think it's interesting, Psalm 75 tells us that promotion, exaltation, doesn't come from the east, the west, or the south. But it doesn't mention the navigational term of north. It does mention east, west, and south. And if you go to Psalms 48, it talks about how beautiful the situation of Jerusalem, whose king, capital K, sits in the north. Uh, it's interesting. You see in Scripture, several different places in Scripture, the word north is used concerning heaven, where God resides and rules and reigns the universe from that place called heaven. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I just add that in there. But verse 13, we see the heart and the condition of Lucifer. It falls to pride. He sins. This is one reason why I believe that mankind, just, just throwing this in there, this is why I believe mankind has free will. Some people believe that everything that's taking place is by the, uh, they would say the sovereignty of God. I believe that God's sovereign, but in His sovereignty, He has given man the ability to make choices. And how do I know that? Well, one reason I believe that is because Satan before he was Satan, was Lucifer, and he had a choice. If God gave angels choices, why wouldn't he give mankind choice? Anyway, so God, Satan, Lucifer at this point, he later be called Satan, but Lucifer, an angel in God's heaven, he says in his heart, I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to exalt my throne. Notice that I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest side of the, the highest you can be exalted, that's where I'm going. I'll ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Now, that's Isaiah. Ezekiel, there's another verse I want to read you as well, Ezekiel 31. Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah both talk about uh, Lucifer and his, his state before he fell. It gives you kind of an interesting description of him. Uh, Ezekiel 31.10. Now this is referring to Pharaoh of Egypt, but we see in verse 10 it says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height, and in its top among the thick boughs, its heart was lifted up in its height. I think I have the incorrect verse there. Yeah. Forgive me. <laughs> oh, well. Isaiah 14, we see there. Uh-oh. 61 wake-up calls in. Wrong verse. Forgive me. <laughs> we see in Isaiah there. That's going to bug me. That's going to irk me all day till I find it. We see in Isaiah 14. That's the position. That's the, that's the nature that Satan's heart fell to. I'm going to lift up myself. I'm going to exalt myself. I am going to put myself above God himself. And isn't that interesting, which I'm, it's, I'm giving you a little clue of where we're about to go. But he makes that point. I'm going to lift myself up above the most high. I'm going to exalt my own self. And then he says, I will be like the most high. Now, that sounds familiar because that's the same lie. That's the same lie that he told Eve in the garden, isn't it? That's the same exact lie that he told Eve. Here we go. I found it. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. 
And it starts at verse 11, and it goes through verse 19. And we see here this comparison. There's a prince of Tyre and there's a king of Tyre, but portion of this is talking about uh, Lucifer. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, uh, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Notice verse 17. Your heart was lifted up. It was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that, you might, that they might gaze at you. So again, there, that prideful lifting up. And what happened? When Lucifer caught him, when he got caught up in that trap of pride, that sin of pride, and, and iniquity was found in him, he was cast out of the presence of God. He, he decided and purposed in his heart to exalt himself. And what was the end? Destruction. Now, as I kind of hinted to it, Genesis chapter 3 Notice this, Genesis 3, verse 2, after the serpent, by way of Satan, is tempting Eve, saying, has God really said that you can't eat of every tree? You shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now Eve added to what God said. God didn't say you can't eat it or touch it. God said the fruit from that tree, verse 17, it's mine. You can't have that fruit. He told them to tend to the entire garden. You can't tend to a tree without touching it. If you're going to prune a tree, lop it away, fertilize it, make it grow, you're going to have to touch it. Eve added that. I don't know, maybe Adam said, look here, you don't even touch that tree. I know God said don't eat it, but you don't even touch it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. Who, who knows? But Eve added that to it. It's not written there in chapter 2 when God gives, her, gives them that command. So then verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She looked, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? The serpent, by way of Satan, is using this temptation, telling, Lucifer, uh, telling Eve, Ah, you're not going to die if you eat this fruit. In fact, you're not only not going to die, you're going to become just like God. You're going to be just like God. Well, isn't that the same thing that Lucifer deceived his own self in Isaiah 14? I will be like the Most High. I'm going to exalt myself and I'm going to be just like God. And then that lie that he fell for, he's trying to get Eve to fall for. And then Eve does. And 1 John 2, verse 15, 16, and 17 shows us that all sin falls in three categories. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Well, we see here the lust of the eyes saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. The lust of the flesh, it was good for food. And desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. There it is. First John 2, three different types of category that all sin falls in. We see the very first sin here taking place in Genesis, and it falls in the same categories. And what happens to Adam and Eve? Now, it's interesting. You go to First, first Timothy. In First Timothy, we see that it says that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. Because Adam's right here. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And First Timothy tells us that Eve was deceived, Adam was not. Adam must have fell for the pride game as well. Eve tricked, deceived. Adam volitionally sinned, voluntarily sinned. 
that's why it's not like, you know, it's not like when, when people read Genesis, this account of Genesis of the fall of man, it's not like Adam just like accidentally, oh, okay, I guess I'll eat a slice of it. All right, thanks. Oh, no, all of the world and creation have been catapulted into sin. He made a decision. He made a decision. In fact, let's see if I can find that. First Timothy 2. Since I, I, I say 2. Is it, uh, it's verse, yeah, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. First Timothy 2, 13 and 14. Verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So uh, it's interesting because there Adam, he, 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 He's right there with her, and he eats, but not being deceived. Ah, oh, that's, hmm. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And what takes place, so? So what takes place? Believing the lie. Oh, you'll be like God if you eat it. Destruction. Romans chapter 5 tells us that through the first Adam, sin and death came into the earth. So not did, it wasn't just themselves fell into destruction. And just as a side note, you know, read your Bible for yourself. Tell, you know, tell me if I'm wrong on this. By all means, please do. But I do not see anywhere in Scripture, after Adam and Eve fall into sin, I see nowhere in Scripture where Adam and Eve are referred to in a positive light. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where they repent. Maybe they did. But I see nowhere where they repented. I see nowhere in Scripture where Adam and Eve are ever referred to in a good way. It's always in a bad way. And I never see them come back to God in Scripture. So, it, it, man, it, it not only brought destruction to themselves, and it looks like it brought eternal destruction to them. It brought destruction and death to mankind. Mankind has suffered since then from an act of self-promotion, self-exaltation. I'm telling you, it's not worth it, y'all. It's not worth it to play this game of trying to exalt yourself, of promoting yourself, of becoming prideful, uh, of trying to, you know, as the old saying goes, uh, step on everyone as you climb the ladder of success uh, in any type of area of life. It's, or, or you lie and scheme and cheat and finagle your way into places of position and authority and, and promotion and exaltation. It's not, it's not worth it. It will end in destruction. Last example, Genesis 11, verse 4, concerning the Tower of Babel. They begin to work on this tower in verse 4, and they, the people building the tower, said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Interesting, they already have that idea in their mind, isn't it? because this is after the flood of Noah, so maybe they have in the back of their mind, let's build us a real big tower that reaches to the heavens before Jehovah can stop us and scatter us. I don't know, it's interesting. Verse 5, But the Lord came down to the sea, the city, and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered to them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, which literally means confusion, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth." So I think that's interesting. Just a little side note, the power of unity. You might think, wow, that's an interesting uh, reference to use for the power of unity. But notice what God himself says concerning the people here at the Tower of Babel. Verse 6, the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. 
There was a unity in plan, let's build a tower. And there was a uni- unity, there was unity in language, in communication. They all could speak and understand one another. And God says, because they have a unity in plan, they're one, these people are one. They've all decided and made a decision to build this tower. And they all can communicate to one another and express ideas and actions and commands through words. And so therefore, anything they decide to do, they can do it. Just a little side note there. That's why Satan fights unity among Christians. That's why if Satan can keep Christians playing petty little games against each other, he's already won. Because if God knows it, Satan probably observed that day, hmm, I had all these people working for me trying to build this big tower and exalt themselves, but now God messed up their language so they can't talk to one another, and he scattered them all over the earth. So he, God dispersed them as one, as a force, and confused their language so they could not communicate ideas. If you can get people together, all pulling in the same direction, all speaking the same language, and I'm using that a little bit in a less literal sense, but more a figurative sense, all speaking the same idea, the same language, the same mission, you can get things done. And that's why Satan fights unity in the church. Just a little side note there. All right. Now, those are three different examples of how self-promotion, self-exaltation brings destruction. Okay? Those we want to avoid. We want to avoid that altogether. Now, let's finish up three ways to position yourself for promotion. See, promotion isn't a bad thing. Exaltation is not bad. Increase is not bad. But we want to do it the Lord's way. It's that simple. We want to do life God's way. So we see Psalm 75 tells us promotion doesn't come from the east to west or the south. It doesn't come from mankind. God lifts up and he tears down. Exaltation, promotion comes from God. So if it comes from God, we want to put ourselves in a place that is honoring towards God so that he says, There's somebody I can trust to promote. You and I, as members of the faithful, we want to position ourselves for promotion. And here's three. I'm sure there's many. But here's three of the main ideas that came to my mind, three of the main ways that came to my heart to position yourself for promotion. Number one, humility. If you want God to promote you, promotion comes from the Lord. If you want God to promote you, you must be humble. Humility is a master key to promotion. James chapter 4, verse 6. James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace, the Lord. Therefore, he says, the Lord... God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you position yourself to be promoted, you have to be humble. Humility, humbling yourself. Now, what is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, woe is me, I'm just a worm in the dirt. That's not humility. Some people actually put on a false sense of humility, and it's just a form of pride. And they, they like play a game who can make themselves sound worse than the other person. <laughs> oh, you're scum of the earth. Oh, I'm, I'm the scum. I'm, a, I'm scum on the bottom of the shoe of scum of the earth. Oh, I'm so terrible. You know, blah, blah. No, that's not humility. Humility is understanding that God is my master. He is my Lord. To Him I obey. To Him I desire to please. To Him I have no desire in my heart to ever offend. I want to serve Him wholly and completely. Lord, if there's something in me that's not like you, remove it. Anytime there's something in me, Lord, that's not like you. I don't want a part of it. 
That's what humility is, being quick and willing to change because you love Jesus, because you want to make him happy. You want to make him proud. You want to serve him well. You want to love him well. You want to be in a place where you can be a vessel of honor. Like the uh, Bible tells us, I believe in the book of 1 Corinthians, we want to be a, a vessel of honor, of gold or silver, of precious stone. We want to be a vessel that the Lord can use, ready and cleaned and set apart. 1 Peter chapter 5, it has the same, same principle here. 1 Peter chapter 5, Verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For, here it is again, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, promotion comes. Verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Not maybe He will, possibly He will. No, in due time, God will exalt you. So the first thing we do to position ourselves for promotion from the Lord is humble ourselves. The second way of living, the second condition of the heart that positions us for promotion from the Lord is what I call the kingdom first principle. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is actually all one big long sermon that Jesus is teaching. And verse 33 is the main key verse that I want you to see, but starting at verse 25, basically Jesus is teaching, don't worry. Don't worry about stuff. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. God's going to take care of you. Don't work, Don't go out striving, working yourself to death, you know, fighting over and striving and, and biting and backbiting and, and scratching and clawing and uh, warring with people to get stuff and, and, and produce and I guess, generate incomes and things like that. You know, you don't have to fight and claw people to death to, to make a living in this life. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's what people who don't believe in God, that's what they do. And don't have your whole heart and mind set on the next thing, on stuff. I just, I'm just existing to have stuff. I'm just living to have stuff. That's, we don't do that. We live for the kingdom. We live to glorify God. We live and purpose our heart and our mind to bring about His will on the earth. And so the, Jesus says, don't worry about all this stuff. That's all going to come in its time. That's all going to come into your life if you position yourself for promotion. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom first principle. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Well, what things? All the things prior to verse 33. Food, clothing, a place to live. All the things you physically have need of. God will take care of that. He will provide for that. And I believe abundantly provide for it. I really, really do believe He'll abundantly provide for you. But you have to position yourself for promotion from the Lord. And how do you do that? Seek the kingdom first. Put God's agenda. I guarantee you, I'm telling you, this is so alive and in my heart. It's a principle that I got a hold of years ago, and, and I've, I've seen it work in my life, and I see it work in other people's lives. When you put God's house first, He'll take care of your house it's just God will not be indebted to anyone. And when you put God's house first, God will not overlook your house. And I'm using that word house figuratively, like your existence, your life. When you put God's mission, God's ministry, God's will, God's house, what God desires to do on the earth, when you put the things of God first, He will not owe you a debt. You're not going to be able to walk around and say, I put God first my whole life and He ain't done a thing for me. 
One, first, what do we deserve? God, while we were yet dead in our sins, Christ died for us. So God made the first move. So he's just, he's faithful. He's already made the first move. So we respond to him by putting him first and then he blesses us and abundantly rains down in our life all his goodness that we see so plainly in Scripture. All these yes and amen promises come to pass in our life, but it's by positioning ourselves for promotion by using the kingdom first principle, putting God first. Last, last thing I want you to see is this. And again, these are just three. I'm sure there's so many. You know, we saw it's just three and three. I'm, I'm kind of balancing it out, right? I, I showed you three different examples of how self-promotion produces destruction, but there's so many more than that in Scripture. And I'm giving you three of the real big principles, I think, that are necessary to position yourself for promotion from the Lord, but there's so many more in Scripture. So there's your homework. Between now and the next episode drop on the Faith for My Generation podcast, go find some more ways to position yourself for promotion. Text them to me. Message in the message them to me uh, send them to me on the faith for my generation website faithformygeneration.com send me a voicemail over there i've only gotten a few of those voicemails but i'm i'm wanting to create a list of those to do some bible and question and answers so hey uh, if you find some more send it in and i'll play it on the podcast all right last one i want you to see is this ephesians 6 verse 8 if you want to position yourself for promotion you've got to put others before yourself serve others jesus said that the son of man came to the earth not to be served but to serve others now if the king of glory clothed himself in humility philippians 2 and by 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 way of obedience humbled himself to become a man of flesh so that he could serve mankind by dying on the cross. But even before that, he's serving. He's washing the feet of the disciples. He's multiplying food for hungry people who've been following him. He's healing the sick. He's casting out devils. He's raising the dead. He's cleansing lepers. He's preaching salvation. Everything Jesus did when he was on the earth in his earthly ministry was of service. It was all of service. Now, verse 8, notice this. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So that's interesting, isn't it? We're commanded to do good toward other people. But who is going to return that good to us? The Lord. You and I, we do, verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So again, that same principle is there. When I'm serving other people, keep in mind, I'm not just serving this person. I'm actually doing service to the Lord. But the way I'm serving the Lord is by serving this person. And so when I serve this person, actually what I'm doing is serving the Lord, and the Lord will be a debtor to no man. So the Lord's going to then repay me for serving this person. Because when I was serving this person, I was serving the Lord. It's like an endless circle. It just keeps going around and around and around. And that's what I want to encourage you. you know, maybe, maybe you serve in your church. When you're giving of your time and your energy as a host, as a team leader, uh, as a minister of music or work on the praise team, you know, or you lead Bible study, or, or you're an FCA leader at your high school or your middle school, you know, if you're serving people, if you're loving people, if you're showing the love of Christ by witnessing, by caring for people, by helping people, by putting yourself in a place to bless people, when you do that, you're actually serving the Lord, and He will repay you. So you want to position yourself for promotion, which comes only from the Lord? Serve other people. And in doing so, the Lord in due time will exalt you. I'm so thankful that you joined me, that you've listened that you've watched. Hey, do me a favor. Share this. Uh, share um, the video. If you're watching by way of YouTube, hit that subscribe button. We are, are on a march to 1,000 subscribers. And I think at the time of recording this wake-up call, we're at like 731. So we're like within the next 30 days, we're crossing that 1,000 subscriber mark, which is a huge deal considering this time last year I had like 11.
<laughs> so I'm so thankful for everyone that has subscribed. Go check out the YouTube channel if you if you like watching the video. Got a whole new camera set up here. Uh, I think it looks super clean and uh, crisp. So that's a great way to like and subscribe and share. If you're watching by Facebook, go ahead and hit that share button. Uh, tag a friend or two in the comment section. If you're listening to the podcast, the original OGs is where it all began on the podcast channel. I love podcasts. That's the way I consume everything is by podcast. Uh, hey, leave me a five-star review. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. If you can leave a review for me, it helps get this message of the gospel out to more people. It's just the way the interwebs work. When people interact with something like this, whether it's leaving a review, a share, a comment, a subscribe, the interweb, that platform says, oh, people like this. Let me show it to more people. So that's why everyone and their brother who makes content on the online ask you to do those things. <laughs> because when people interact with it, the platform's like, oh, oh, this must be interesting. Let's show a few more people. And then it's like a snowball effect. So I'm so thankful for you. But more importantly than all that, I pray sincerely that you continue to grow in the Lord. I realize that every person, you know, when I'm looking at analytics and, you know, seeing how people are watching and listening to the podcast, I realize I do not take it for granted. I need you to know this. I don't take it for granted that it, like, oh, it's just numbers. No, I realize those numbers represent real people that the other person on the other side of this stream, this video, this microphone, you're a real person. And you love Jesus. And you have a desire to do great things for the Lord. I mean, why else would you take time out of your day to listen and join in with a guy studying his Bible? Why? Why would you do that other than that you love the things of God and you love God? And so I sincerely, I'm telling you, I, I don't, I'm not saying this lightly. I desire God's absolute best for you. And, and I pray that the Faith for My Generation podcast is just a is a help to you. I really pray that it's a help to you and that it's a blessing to you, because I want and what I desire for you is what I desire for myself, my wife, my children, my church. I desire the same thing for you. I desire that you would grow and abound in the goodness of God, in the mercies of God, in the truth of God, that you would become a strong disciple that you truly would become a strong disciple and that I believe your heart is my heart. Every day, I want to be a better follower of Jesus. And so I'm praying. I pray for you guys that are, that are members of the faithful. I pray for the faithful all the time that you would be strengthened. That, In fact, let me pray for you right now. I want to do this. Pray with me. Now, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. Keep those hands at 10 and 2 and your eyes wide open. Let me pray for you. Lord, in Jesus' name, I lift up the faithful right now, Lord. I pray for these precious, precious men and women that love you, God. I pray that as their hearts are turned toward you and your eyes are searching all over the earth to and fro, that as their hearts are turned toward you, that you would see their heart and that their hearts would truly be completely wholly turned toward you. And Lord, extend your mighty hand of power over their life. Everything that you've put in their heart, Lord, you've called them to do different things, be a youth pastor, uh, to lead teens, to teach children, uh, to serve people as a host or a deacon or a pastor, or a music minister. Uh, you've, called, you've put them in the marketplace. You've put them in secular jobs and businesses so that they can be a blessing and a soul winner to people they encounter on the job. Lord, you've put them in a high school and classes at college so that they encounter other people and they can tell people about your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us all. You would embolden us all. That you would cause us to do the very things you've put in our heart and do them well. And Lord, we want to position ourselves for promotion because when you promote, it means you give us more power more authority, more responsibility, more privilege, more opportunity to do more of what we love doing, which is sharing your truth, your love, and seeing your church built, which you said you will build, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. 
So that's the power that we march forth in. In Jesus' mighty name, if you believe it, Wherever you're at, let out an amen. Hey, I'm thankful for you. At the time of this wake-up call, it is March 6th, 2023. On March 25th, at Gospel Tabernacle Church, the church I pastor at in Lawrence, South Carolina, I will be holding a conference called Shepherd's Conference. It will start, the doors open at 8 a.m., teaching will begin at 8.40, and we'll be done by 12 p.m., We're going to serve breakfast and refreshments. It's going to consist of four sessions that have to do with the art of shepherding. Those four sessions uh, will cover topics such as what it means to be a shepherd, good and bad shepherds, the tools of shepherding, and how to become a good shepherd. So who is this for? I believe it's for many of you, the faithful that are listening. The Shepherds Conference is for anyone that serves other people and is in a position of influence or leadership and helps make disciples in God's church. So maybe you work with children, you work with teenagers, you work with adults. Maybe you're, you know, a children's church pastor, youth pastor, teen leader, you're a deacon, you're a pastor, you're an associate minister, you're a music minister, you serve on the praise team, you do hosting, you're a deacon, or you just feel a call to ministry and you feel a call to minister to, pe- to the people of God. Uh, Jesus called the disciples to be fishers of men. That's evangelism. We're all called to be soul winners. But there's specific people that are called to evangelism. But before Jesus ascends to heaven, he calls Peter to be a shepherd as well. And a shepherd is the duty, the work of people who make disciples, who take those people who have faith in Jesus and then help them grow in the Lord. If that's you or you feel a call for that, I want you to join me at Gospel Tabernacle, Lawrence, South Carolina, on March 25th, in-person conference, Shepherd's Conference, first ever. I'm telling you, you'll love it. It's totally free, and I, the only thing I ask is that you register for the conference. The registration link will be in the description. Um, If you're listening on podcasts, you'll have it in the description. There'll be a link there. YouTube, Facebook, it's all in the description. So if you've made it to this point, you've been listening to this entire episode, and you're hearing this announcement, uh, you mean business. (laughs) We've already weeded out the people who can't get past 15 or 20 minutes. So anyway, uh, you mean business. Come join me. I'd love to have you. Sincerely would. Hey, I'm so thankful for you. And remember... We are the faithful, and I will see you next time. God bless.